Dear listeners, you are tuned into WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. This morning, we're talking about connections between Christianity and Buddhism with two venerable DC leaders. We'll discuss parallels and contrasts in their practices, their religious journeys, and how they are inspired to serve the broader DC community. So, to paraphrase Thomas Merton, it's time to get into some interfaith-ish. Dear listeners, how many of you start your day with a minister punching you in the face? Well, as it happens, I'm frequently looking at the business end of my first guest's fist whenever we train together at Aikido Shobokan Dojo right here in beautiful Tacoma. And this morning, I'm happy to get a chance to sit down and talk about some of his less martial pursuits, though we may get into some of the peaceful way to break somebody's arm as well. Welcome to you, Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker. (laughs) Thanks very much, Jack. (laughs) Dr. Parker is a recently retired Methodist minister who for 10 years was senior pastor at National United Methodist Church for 16 years. Dr. Parker also worked as executive director of two nonprofit ministries in downtown Washington, D.C., Bread for the City and Emmaus Services for the Aging. He's had a long-standing interest in the connections between Buddhist and Christian contemplative traditions, as well as Japanese culture. And for 20 years, he's been a student of the martial art of Aikido and the Japanese flute called the Shakuhachi. And my second guest is Mr. Bill Aiken, the former director of public affairs for the Buddhist group Soka Gakkai International USA, or SGI, the former director as well of the Washington, D.C. Buddhist Center on Massachusetts Avenue. Welcome to you, Bill. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be here. Bill teaches classes on Buddhism for the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Johns Hopkins University and for the Fellowship of the Advancement of Education in the Sciences at the National Institutes of Health. He's co-founder of the D.C. Area Buddhist Network and currently president of the Interfaith Conference of Metropolitan Washington. I'm so glad to have you both here with me this morning. Thanks, Jack. So, Charlie, let's talk with you first. As a third-generation Washingtonian, your family's rooted here in D.C., mm-hmm. uh, so I'm curious, has Methodism also been a part of your family tradition for a long time? Yes, absolutely. Actually, all four of my grandparents, um, when they moved to D.C. in the 20s, joined Foundry United Methodist Church down oh, on 16th okay. Street, and my parents met and married there and raised our family there, so we've got a long history in in uh, the Methodist Church in this area. Cool. And what was your religious upbringing like as a as a youngster? You know, Foundry's a wonderfully engaged and progressive community, so there was a lot of uh, involvement with uh, our neighborhood. Um, I'll also say um, my interest in the connections between Christianity and Buddhism were born there in that uh, I had a Sunday school teacher who very early on uh, started teaching me about contemplative prayer and Christian contemplative tradition. And it was out of that uh, experience that I started to discern my own call to the ministry. Mm. Um, and so my my interest in the sort of contemplative 
um, connections has been a, a very long-lived one. Mm -hmm. And so was there a catalyzing moment for you that made you decide to become a minister? Um, catalyzing moments, uh -huh. um, most of which I think came out of uh, contemplative work and um, this uh, ongoing process of trying to more carefully listen to where the, the Spirit was leading. Mm -hmm. Were there other clergy persons in your family as well? Was that something? No. No, so you were blazing a trail. Uh, sort of. <laughs> Most of my family is engaged in medical work. So you were also the director of a couple of large uh, social service organizations here in the city. And I believe, if I, if I remember your, a little bit of your story correctly, you sort of went back and forth between the ministry and some of that work. Is that right? Yeah. Um, actually, I initially, after seminary, went into a parish, mm -hmm. um, which is a wonderful uh, community, and sort of the the place I had pictured myself for a long time, and um, found myself very unhappy. Mm. Um, it was, uh, I think part of it was I'm an introvert, and sort of uh, having to get up in front of folks every Sunday was just hard work, and mm -hmm. I wasn't at a stage in my life where I uh, was comfortable with that. So I, I left parish work and stumbled into Bread for the City, which I had initially thought would be a sort of temporary stopgap uh, job and uh, totally fell in love with it. Wow. Um, found the engagement with um, folks who were more marginalized to be a very, very transformative experience, uh, which I think is at the heart of Christian practice, uh, mm -hmm. spiritual practice in general. And so I, um, I fell in love with that that kind of work, which is then what I did for the next 16 years. Mm -hmm. Later, when you went to National, you were also continuing with those ministry programs, right? There are a lot of those programs that are happening over there. Yes, I was very blessed to be part of a community that was also, at National, very, very socially engaged, and we uh, run two full-time shelters and a very active mm -hmm. anti-hunger program, and a, a lot of folks who are um, very, very committed to making sure that their faith translates into um, social change. Mm. Um, a lot of really interesting, I think, and, and again, very transformative work in terms of trying to make um, cross-river connections with okay. the communities in, um, in Ward 7 and 8. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, because National is, is up um, in, in the neighborhood around AU, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, it actually started uh, when we had developed a community garden at one of our campuses at St. Luke's, and we had extra material, hmm. and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And somebody said, hey, we should go start a community garden um, down in Ward 7 or 8, mm -hmm. where there's a food desert. And so I talked to my superintendent, who uh, put me in touch with a pastor in that neighborhood, who I'd never met before. Hmm. Um, and so I had this sort of interesting experience of just calling this guy, cold call, and I just said, hey, David suggested that we talk, and We've got all this stuff to uh, to build a community garden and thought maybe we could do something together. And I loved working with Ernest on this, and he was very straightforward and said, um, I would love to work with you. We don't want to build a garden, <laughs> um, but here's some things we would like to work okay. on. And so um, we started developing this uh, very rich partnership of uh, engagement in the community, did a lot of housing work down there, mm -hmm. and um, it was a very, very uh, wonderful growth opportunity for the congregation.
Beautiful. If you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking this morning with Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired United Methodist minister. My other guest today is Bill Aiken, former director of public affairs for the Buddhist group Soka Gakkai International USA. Bill, for those dear listeners who aren't familiar with SGI, um, give us a little bit of background on the history of the community. Soka Gakkai grows out of what's called the Nichiren School of Mahayana Buddhism. I'm going to throw a lot of uh, foreign terms at you here, but That's dealing with We're... Buddhism is dealing with foreign there terms. There you go. We're here to it's... learn. <laughs> exactly. So um, it was uh, the Nichiren School was a 13th century school of Buddhism, and, and Soka Gakkai was founded actually by a group of progressive educators in Japan around 1930. Um, after the war in Japan, it grew into this very widespread popular Buddhist movement, and it grew here in the United States from about the late 50s, early 60s, uh, originally with the servicemen who were coming back from Japan with their brides, with their mm -hmm. Japanese brides, and they were the ones who kind of planted the stakes of, uh, of Sokigakai here back around the late 50s, early 60s. What are the sort of tenets or philosophies of, of that particular movement? Well, it's pretty simple. It, it, it's rooted in, in this document in Buddhism called the Lotus Sutra. And the Lotus Sutra is, uh, is a, probably the most influential Buddhist document for all of East Asia. It has a very simple premise that every single human being has the potential to be a Buddha that everyone has the dignity, has the wisdom, have the, has the compassion of Buddha within, and it's a matter of practice to actualize that. Mm -hmm. And so Kagakai has its, uh, has its practice system rooted in the 13th century Nichiren teaching to help people actualize that. And for you yourself, were you raised as a Buddhist? Do you come from a Buddhist family? Uh, well, I come from the uh, Irish Roman Catholic branch. Of, okay, so of, no. Of <laughs> so no, no, much to my mother's chagrin. Um, no, I was raised Catholic. Okay. And, and for me, Buddhism uh, came to me at a party, actually, in, in my freshman year in college at Penn State University when someone came up to me at the party. And I was... Those heavy Buddhist parties. Well, no, it, but it was the 60s at Penn State. <laughs> so it had its own character. Yeah. Uh, and... I was at that point, you know, 18 years old, kind of, I had been very serious about my Catholic faith, mm. and then puberty hit, and I converted to hedonism, <laughs> and uh, then, uh, so about 18, I've got some sense of religion, and, and it was a bit amorphous at that point, and so a guy comes up to me at a party, and he says, um, what do you know about Buddhism? And I said, I don't know anything about Buddhism. Mm. And I said, what does Buddhism have to say? He said, well, it talks about the oneness of everything. It talks about the interconnectedness of everything. It was just a teaser moment mm. for me. It was just a, one of those things, it's, a, it's like a brain worm mm -hmm. that gets in and won't let go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, huh, maybe Buddhism speaks to me. And so I start going to the bookstore. I start taking religions of the East courses in mm. college, et cetera. And I start diving deeper and deeper. And this is a tradition that really speaks to me in large part because it places the absolute, if you want to call it God or, or the infinite or the absolute, it places it in the human heart. And it places the discovery of, of God, if you will, within the human heart. And that just was what I needed to hear in that moment. And that pulled me into the tradition. And, and why, for you, did you come to the Soka Gakkai community over other Buddhist paths or Buddhist communities? 
I came to the Sokugakai for the most for the reason most people come to the Sokugakai because someone walks up to them, invites them to a Sokugakai okay, meeting. Uh, in in my case, I was uh, sitting in a park in downtown Philadelphia. I was sitting in Rittenhouse Square, trying to decide which folk instrument to buy, and a young lady walks up to me and says, "Have you ever been to a Buddhist meeting?" And in fact, I had already gone through this process of evaluation of Buddhism and all uh -huh. of this. And I said, no, let me come. And uh, it was a little stranger than what I experienced, but, uh, but I was very uh, connected to the practice that mm -hmm. they did. I felt really, uh, I felt moved by the, their practice of the Soka Gakkai, and mm -hmm. I came to, to overtimely love and be part of the community. And Bud so, Buddhist well, evangelism, yeah. I love it. Yeah, there you exactly, go. exactly, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> she actually was asking for directions. She just was wondering if you could find her. I knew she was. I had an eye on her as she's walking up the pathway. And I said, Excuse me. Let no. me try. I said, Oh, a Jesus freak, please. I don't want to be proselytized. <laughs> I don't want to be proselytized this morning. Uh -huh. And But it turns out she did plop down. I saw it coming, uh -huh. but she was so disarming. Yeah. And it was Buddhism. Yeah. And so the uh, the combination, you know, is, and, and I was. Uh, 20 years old, and it was a pretty young lady. And, and hey, <laughs> look, I told you about my earlier conversion, right? So, yeah. I thought that was going to be the reason why most people go to the meetings. <laughs> I, think, I think there's an element. What was it that you experienced then in those, those early years of, of then coming from, you know, a really radical departure then from, from what the cultural and religious upbringing that you grew up in? My real introduction to Buddhism had to do with the experience of practice. For us, practice is a mantra recitation. It centers around the reciting this mantra, Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, and it's a rhythmic um, um, practice. And I had already done some experimenting in, in meditation at that point, and I found just the experience of this mantra practice, we call mantra meditation, which focuses on uh, awakening the Buddha within, I found it very positive. I found, I found myself revitalized by this, refreshed by this. I had the sense that it was really bringing out my better half, mm. my better side. And that was the real handle. And I was doing this alone at college, and it would be later I would get back and connect with the, um, the SGI community, and found them a very engaged and, and engaging community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking with Bill Aiken, former public affairs director for Soka Gakkai International USA, and Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired Methodist minister. So, gentlemen, let's turn now to the connections between Buddhism and Christianity, as you see it. Um, Charlie, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you've had an interest in Japanese culture for many years as a student of both Aikido and the flute called Shakuhachi. Uh, so what spurred these interests, and how did they relate to Buddhism as, as well? Was it more of a, a cultural interest? Was it also a spiritual interest? So the um, interest in Buddhism developed before the Aikido and Shakuhachi, mm -hmm. uh, in that you can't do a lot of studying of contemporary Christian uh, contemplative tradition without um, bumping into folks like Thomas Merton that were very... Uh, intentional about kind of drawing the connections between Zen tradition and some of the Christian contemplative practices. And my first class in meditation was with a, a wonderful guy who's an Episcopalian priest um, who was involved with IFC uh, very early on, Tilden Edwards. Um, and Tilden, uh, like um, Thomas Merton, 
also did a lot of um, reflecting on the common points between Buddhist meditation practice and, and Christian contemplative tradition. So, um, so that's been a very important part of my journey for, for a long time. Um, the Aikido uh, connection actually happened quite serendipitously in that I was walking from my house to the metro. Um, I uh, had recently be- got married, and this was my new route to work, and I walked right by our dojo. And uh, at some point, stuck my head in, and it was quite captivated by it. And, oh, the, and the more I started digging into it, uh, the more I really resonated with this um, idea of um, harmonizing energy and blending energy, and um, and engaging violence, uh, but engaging it in a way that didn't allow violence to determine um, how the engagement happened. Mm-hmm. So it it really resonated with a lot of my Christian commitments also um, in, uh, for me, finding this wonderful space in between what in Christian tradition we call just war theory, you know, which is often a wonderful um, way of justifying one's own tendency to violence, and pacifism, um, which sometimes can be quite passive. And Aikido, from my standpoint, was this wonderful middle ground of, of engagement actively um, but engagement with the intent to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really, really uh, was a very powerful sort of aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. And we want to give a shout out to all the spiritual warriors over Indeed. there sipping coffee with the, <laughs> after class <laughs> over at the dojo on Butternut. Janine always called the dojo my other church because we go through the liturgy in the morning and then we have coffee hour afterwards. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Bill, do you, do you feel like in... Your experience as well. You've you've seen connections between Christianity and Buddhism. Has that been been part of your experience, your community? Well, I do. Um, I'd say for me, because I was raised Catholic, um, and took it seriously, at least through my youth. So while my understanding of Christianity and Catholicism is probably rooted more in an adolescent level of understanding. Um, but I continued to be a, in dialogue with my younger self, who was educated in the Catholic tradition, in the Christian tradition. And so that, that always provides, for me, an important interlocutor for my Buddhist experience. And so there's that. Um, also, through the work with the Interfaith Conference of, of Metropolitan Washington, shout out to the IFC, one of the great organizations in Washington. Um, and, and through that, I've come to see that regardless of, of how we title and frame or the, our faith and, or the kind of community or, or cultural influence we have, the kind of virtues that come out of people of faith and how they live out those virtues, how they express those virtues, I've come to be really deeply respectful of. And I, and I find that, for example, Buddhism may accentuate certain virtues over others, um, maybe uh, wisdom and uh, k- kindness slash compassion, whereas in my take, uh, Christianity, uh, as well as Judaism and Islam, uh, emphasize social action and social justice as very much a, a part of it, a manifestation of that, mm. uh, of that uh, spirit of, of love, agape, etc. And I, I see, sure, lots of crossover points. Mm-hmm. In your experience as a convert to Buddhism mm-hmm. um, and eventually a community leader, do you see a, a similar 
pattern in the ways that the American Buddhist community comes to an awareness of Buddhism, comes to incorporate Buddhist teaching into into their life, and and perhaps in in sort of a complement to either their the tradition that they're coming from, or maybe even what they're currently practicing. Yeah, yeah. It's there's a wide range of responses to that, Jack. Um, you have, on the one hand, people who are what uh, the Buddhist scholar Thomas Tweed referred to as nightstand Buddhists. And nightstand Buddhists are people who may st remain Methodist or remain Catholic or remain Jewish, but on their nightstand, there's a book by maybe Thich Nhat Hanh or Daisaku Ikeda or the Dalai Lama, uh, and, and they find themselves drawn to or influenced by some of the teachings and some of the philosophical insight of, of Buddhism. So there's that, but they, but they maintain their faith. And then my experience in Soka Gakkai is that it's a little more... Um, focused on a single practice. Mm -hmm. And so in our community, it becomes a more intentional and, and intentionally focused on in the Nietzschean tradition. So there's a range of which at which Americans kind of engage that. And I find it even in Soka Gakkai, there's a range at which people engage it. Some people like to chant, and uh, they'll come and join us for chanting sessions. And beyond that, well, they're, mm -hmm. they've got other things to do. Uh, so it's I find a very wide range, and that kind of fits in with the the American somewhat um, cafeteria like approach to mm -hmm. uh, to religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Charlie, I'm curious if you, as a Christian leader, have ever experienced pushback either from your community or from other leaders for your interest in Buddhist teachings and culture and so forth. Have they felt like this is in opposition to Christianity? Or... Um, National UMC is a, a very um, open and progressive community, and um, and I found a lot of support in that context. I, I did have an interesting moment a couple of years ago when I had the chance to do a sabbatical and um, took a little time to visit Japan and do some Aikido work and some Shakuhachi work. and. Um, I did get people, uh, and I w remember one woman in particular, uh, pushing kind of hard on, um, why don't you take a sabbatical and do something Christian? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and having, a, I think, a really helpful conversation about with her about um, how this, I felt, nurtured my Christian journey um, in some important ways. And uh, so, yeah, you get a little bit of it. But... By and large, not not much. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there have been ways in which um, it's it's directly helped to form or or advance your your faith as a Christian? Oh, absolutely. And um, I, I enjoyed listening to Bill talk a little bit about um, some of the practices in his tradition because um, there's all these very powerful connections with uh, Christian contemplative tradition as well. And you're talking about using mantras, and what came to my mind immediately was the Eastern Orthodox tradition of the Jesus prayer, mm -hmm. um, which is this yeah. mantra, essentially, that gets said by folks in, in Orthodox tradition, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But it's got this very repetitive, mm -hmm. rhythmic um, sense that is about centering. Um, and so... You know, there's, for me, it has been sort of an, uh, 
an avenue to explore some of my own traditions in a more profound way. Hmm. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking with Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired Methodist minister, and Bill Aiken, former public affairs director of Soko Gakkai International USA. We'll be back in a minute. We've been listening to some Japanese flute music by Kohachiro Miyata. So um, I just wanted to turn it over to Charlie to tell us a, a little bit about, about what we were just listening to with the flute. Like Buddhism itself, uh, the Shakuhachi, or, or some previous iteration of it, um, started probably in India um, and then moved through uh, China and uh, entered Japan probably sometime around the 9th century. Um, it was used um, in folk music and in a variety of different genres, but um, sometime probably around the, the 13th century um, was adopted by a sect of Zen monks called the Fuke. Um, they were an itinerant uh, sect, much like the Franciscans in Christian tradition, and um, playing the flute was their meditative practice. Uh, as opposed to traditional zazen, which is sitting meditation, they practice a discipline called suizen, which is blowing meditation. So the, the piece that we were just listening to um, is a part of a repertoire called hankyoku, which is, uh, means original music, and it was, uh, it was a meditation. Um, so this is the, the way that the Fuke practiced their meditation. And uh, many of the pieces, uh, you see this in the sort of the... the um, dynamics of the piece uh, it's, a, it's a gradual process of lengthening the breath mm-hmm. so it's learning to breathe uh, louder and, or longer and deepening the breath um, and you'll hear that over the course of the piece yeah. oh, wow. so it's, um, it's been a, again a wonderful part of my own uh, practice and it's a really interesting one in terms of part of the, the journey of contemplative prayer in Christian tradition and meditation and Buddhist tradition, I think, is a process of sort of um, deepening one's self-understanding. And uh, one of the wonderful things about the shakuhachi is you get this immediate feedback about where you are spiritually in in the tone of the and color of the sound that you produce. So I'll pick up the instrument sometimes and it sounds horrible. Um, And I'll think to myself, what's going on inside me that's generating this sound. And so there's this wonderful sort of immediate feedback loop um, Mm -hmm. that's part of the spiritual journey also. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. 
our bi-weekly show where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and I'm joined by my guest, Bill Aiken, former public affairs director of Soka Gakkai International USA, and Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired Methodist minister. In the first half of our program, each of our dear guests answered some of my questions, but now in the second half, as we do every episode, it's time to switch it up, and my guests will have the chance to ask each other some questions of their own. Anything that they've wanted to know about each other's story or traditions or experience, things they may have never asked, never known to ask, or just flat out misunderstood. As we discussed earlier, Bill and Charlie already share a great deal of overlap since Bill is a practicing Buddhist who came from a Christian background and Charlie is a Christian with a deep love for Japanese culture and the Buddhist tradition. So gentlemen, I turn it over to you. Well, Charlie, I have, I have one question for you because when people talk about the intersection between um, Buddhism and Christianity, I often think of uh, my own Christian teaching, which would teach me things like love your neighbor and to show the kind of kindness and love that Jesus set in, in his example. Um, I found myself sometimes feeling so stressed out um, by daily life, family conditions, etc., that I find it, or just my own personal uh, weakness or vulnerability, that I would find it sometimes difficult to live up to those things. And where I found and I suppose we all find it difficult to live up to these things. But where I found a particular support in Buddhism was helping me to, as you said earlier, understand myself and to be able to understand where my stress points are, how they operate, etc. And I found myself through, uh, that for myself through Buddhist practice, I found myself able to kind of understand both the good and the bad of me and how to cultivate um, a little better from the inside. That's my personal take. And I'm wondering how, if, if that resonates with you, I'm wondering if that has any Buddhist technique has been helpful in your um, Christian practice. That way. It certainly resonates, Bill. And um, I think both of our traditions uh, really encourage their practitioners, at least in my experience, to be self-reflective as a way of being able to engage the people around us in a, in a healthier way. So Jesus would say something like, you know, make sure you get the log out of your own eye before you start trying to pick the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Right. And, um, and part of the process of contemplative and meditative work is um, figuring out where those logs are in our own eyes. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think... Um, in both Christian tradition and Buddhist tradition, uh, the whole journey of um, breaking the day into places where you have a moment to reflect. In Christian mm -hmm. tradition, in monastic tradition in particular, this is called the daily office. So that you, you take these very um, intentional breaks in the, in the course of the day and you just sit. Mm -hmm. And you know, whether you're mantra-like, repeating a psalm or a Jesus prayer or, it, it's or just breathing deeply there's this centering moment that takes place in the course of a day that um, I think then uh, orients the rest of the interactions of the day so that um, that's been a I think a really important um, discipline in, in Christian tradition around mm -hmm. this now you mentioned monastic the monastic schedule mm -hmm. and, and the uh, daily office office thank yes. you I, I'm very familiar with the monastic tradition from a uh, Catholic background, Benedictine, Franciscan, etc. In the Protestant tradition, I'm 
so not familiar with a monastic tradition. Does it exist, or is it something that's, when you think of the monastic tradition, it kind of crosses into the Catholic realm or Eastern, uh, Eastern tradition? Um, I would argue that um, a healthy Protestant perspective owns and celebrates its, its Catholic peace as well, because, you know, Protestant Christianity started in the 16th century, but, but we are heir to that whole um, historic framework. Mm-hmm. So that I would argue that the the rich monasticism of Roman Catholicism informs, in a lot of ways, Protestant life. Now, of course, Martin Luther was a monk, and um, it wasn't a really positive experience for him. <laughs> so he was he was pretty uh, uh, hostile to monastic experience, which is where a lot of the Protestant. Um, attitude comes from. And likewise, in England, as the Reformation was taking place um, under Henry VIII, Henry VIII was seizing all the monastic property. So there was a lot of impetus to monasticism um, out of that tradition, that part of the tradition either. Um, There is some monastic Protestant activity. Um, It has been fairly longstanding in the Anglican tradition. Um, Have you seen a revival of... uh, of, There is actually an interesting revival of it that Mm -hmm. comes out of um, what's called in Christian uh, circles the emergent church movement. Um, And the emergent church movement has, a, I think, a really powerful combination of an emphasis on social justice Mm -hmm. and contemplative uh, monastic practice. In fact, there's a whole strain of this called the new monasticism uh, that has grown up around... um, both uh, intentional prayer and contemplative work and um, and communal living. Um, and uh, there's, there's a lot of very interesting resurgence, I think, in that respect. You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and we've been listening to a conversation between Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired United Methodist minister, and Bill Aiken, former Director of Public Affairs for the Buddhist group Soka Gakkai International USA. Gentlemen, more questions? Um, I would be interested, Bill, in that, uh, as, as you've noted, Christianity uh, has a very strong uh, impetus to social engagement, um, and my experience of Buddhism is that there's a, a lot of um, language that echoes that in terms of, um, you know, developing ca- compassion for all sentient beings and that kind of thing. And I see that in some respects of uh, Zen practice. Uh, I was at a Zen monastery a, a while ago at a retreat, and, you know, the, the emphasis on creation care and stewardship in terms of making sure every grain of rice got eaten was um, quite compelling. Um, I'm interested in your reflections on are there other ways that the Buddhist community engages in, in what I would call traditional social justice work, and mm-hmm. where does that come from? Well, uh, I don't want to dive too deep into history, but, but I'll just say this. The roots for the role of the Buddhist institutions in society have been a little different from the roots of the, of the church in mm-hmm. Western society. In, in Eastern society, the role of the monastery has often been as a center of learning for the most part. And it was a, it seen more as an education center. In Thailand, you would send, you still to this day send young men go there for at least the rainy day treat, retreat. Um, 
And young girls wouldn't marry a young man unless he's been through that moral education of, of a retreat at a, at a monastery. So it is the role of, the, of Buddhism is seen as developing one's wisdom as well as one's self-mastery, etc. And it comes to a question of what's the highest good, what's the real good that we can give. And so they've always, Buddhism has always understood that good in terms of helping that person cultivate wisdom, compassion, etc. And so that's been the aim. Social welfare has always been seen traditionally, traditionally, as the role of the community. And, and Buddhism comes from very communal societies, uh, societies that weren't interrupted so much by the um, by the uh, industrial revolution, etc. And so there's a different sort of role at play here between the two. But that said, things have changed, times have changed, and as Buddhism becomes more engaged with other with uh, the Abrahamic traditions, with that stronger direct service sort of uh, development, um, that it's reflecting, and and I see it reflecting and engaging. But I'll, I'll say a couple of things. I'll, I'll argue for this, that Buddhism sees compassion as first and foremost, what you give to the person sitting in front of you. And um, so therefore, in exa for example, in Tibet, in med medical schools in Tibet, you would go through courses training you to be compassionate. Mm -hmm. You would go through compassion education so that doctors have compassion as a fundamental tool in caring for their patient. We could learn something from that, I suspect. I think <laughs> we can. And so we see in this case a, a, a more subtle role and not the larger institutional, you know, world vision or bread for the world sort of manifestations, which are wonderful manifestations. Um, the other thing that I would see is that, but I'm going to jump ahead to where I see a few of the manifestations today. Um, I come from the Lotus Sutra tradition, and just in there I see three uh, interesting and diverse manifestations. The Soka Gakkai, where I come from, sees itself as a movement empowering people, especially empowering people who are struggling in, in many ways, and so the net between the practice, the empowerment of the practice, and the network of encouragement is seen as compassion in action. Um, the, uh, a group called Tsuchi, which started in China, founded by a woman, has really developed into a formidable disaster relief agency. Mm. Um, work closely here in the U.S. with with Department of Homeland Security, et cetera, and a very intentional Buddhist-based disaster relief, and they run dental clinics and other mm. kind of clinics throughout the United States as well as other places in the world. And they are growing and really quite an interesting model. And another Lotus Sutra-based group from Japan called Risho Kosekai um, had really put so much resources into interfaith work. It's done a tremendous amount of interfaith work, and it was one of the founding forces for what we know today as Religions for Peace, uh, which is one of the most more credible um, interfaith organizations working for peace. And mm -hmm. that was one of the founding groups was a Buddhist group based on the Lotus Sutra. So I'd say that it, like water, finds its way, uh, you know, to, the, to a certain point that it needs to be. I'd say compassion can find its way out in a number of ways other than, uh, and in addition to, direct relief. The needs are different uh, at different times. Mm. That was a speech. That's helpful. No, okay. I, that's good to know. Yeah. 
You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been listening to a conversation between Bill Aiken, former Director of Public Affairs for the Buddhist group Soka Gakkai International USA, and Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired United Methodist minister. Guys, I could be uh, listening to this conversation for hours and hours. It, I hope that you all start your own show at some point because I think that there's... <laughs> and you'll be my first guest. <laughs> no, I, I certainly would be able to expound so eloquently on this. I love, I love hearing all the, the connections um, that you all are, are able to, to draw between your traditions and certainly through so much lived experience that the both of you share. Is there one thing about each of your traditions that you wish that people knew or, or understood better? Something that people either really ask about or, or maybe misunderstand, perhaps in relation to the discussion that we're talking about, the connection between Christianity and Buddhist philosophy and so forth. I would just say that I, I don't think that Buddhism is nearly as aloof as people think it is. Mm. Often people have this image of that, that uh, Buddhist practice is about just removing oneself uh, from the ups and downs of daily life, et cetera, and the ins and outs of daily life. Certainly the monastic experience is one that seeks to disconnect itself from, from the comings and goings of daily life to focus on the infinite, to focus on these unchanging things. But I'd say most of the Buddhists in the world, first of all, most of the Buddhists in the world don't meditate. It's a small minority. Uh, and and so there's, the for the most part, the world of Buddhism are uh, people who are seeking to apply these beliefs, these teachings, uh, in a way to have a happier life, a happier family, and a better society. Mm -hmm. um, Jack, I think I would want people to, I would want Christians to celebrate and own their own contemplative traditions, which is, are very rich. Um, I think there's a, there's a enormous amount of spiritual hunger in our society. And um, in my experience, uh, Bill's story is not unusual in that I was raised in ex-Christian faith and it, something was missing and I found it in Buddhism. And I would, uh, I would hope that Christians could start to celebrate some of that work in their own tradition because there's enormously rich uh, history of contemplative prayer and Lectio Divina and you know a lot of these wonderful disciplines that I think get at some of the same uh, richness of spiritual growth and are part of part of our own heritage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that the other the final point I guess that I'd want to make about this and, and that is that where I find it's, because some people say, okay, well then, which is the best religion? Which is the right <laughs> one? And, and I find that not necessarily a fruitful conversation, but um, though it can, it can be fulfilling in a self-righteous sort of way at times. But, um, but what I find is just the centrality of dialogue here, how, how important it is when we bring these different orientations and these different inclinations together to try to serve humanity with it. That I find it's the dialogue and the interchange that becomes really valuable. I think that's right. I would also add, um, and just to bring this back to some martial arts uh, mm -hmm. analogy, Great. Um, it, 
there were many, many years when Steven Seagal would come out with a new movie. Oh, we got to mention Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. And, and, you know, we get this. It all comes back to Steven Seagal. It all comes Seagal. back to Steven Seagal. No, we, we get this big <laughs> influx of folks coming to study Aikido because they figured it was the perfect martial art. Mm-hmm. Um, and they watched Under Siege and they were really <laughs> divinely inspired. And then, um, you know, they'd do it for a couple months and then it would get boring and repetitive and they'd move mm-hmm. on to find the next perfect martial art. And, you know, for me, part of the journey is, you know, um, living into a tradition as deeply and richly as you can. Is Aikido better than Kempo, better than Wing Chun? I don't know. Um, but Aikido is my family, and mm-hmm. this, is, this is where I deepen my work. Um, Christianity, and particularly United Methodism, is my family, and this is where I deepen my work. And I want to learn from Buddhism, I want to learn from Judaism and Islam, but, but all of it has to tie back in with my um, owning and celebrating and deepening how I live into my faith, my my particular tradition. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Yeah. If you can break somebody's arm and still love them afterwards, exactly. you know you found your family. <laughs> 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 All right, gentlemen. So before we wrap up here, do you have any uh, resources that people might be interested in learning more about some of the topics that we mm-hmm. we talked about today, things that you would recommend Mm-hmm. Uh, looking into for them. Well, um, uh, I'll just do a shout out for my own community, SGI, and, and if people wanted to learn more about that, they could go to the website sgi.org or sgi-usa.org mm-hmm. and find out more, and they could even connect to a, a meeting near them to find out to find out more. Great. Yeah. And some scholarship on the connections between Christianity and Buddhism, perhaps? So, um, actually, I was going to go a different way, which is, you know, obviously as we're in Advent and moving towards Christmas, um, it's a time when uh, I think there's an enormous desire of people to sort of reconnect with often a faith of their youth that has become less important. Um, I think that's a great, that's great, and that's, and this is a wonderful uh, time in which to do that. Um, And a lot of people want to give back in some important ways. Um, I, I will say... I think it's what this time can be is a springboard into what what does more regular practice look like for you. Um, I'll just say having um, been involved with uh, direct service nonprofits for many, many years, um, everybody wants to volunteer on Christmas um, or, or Christmas week, which is great. Um, but I'd love to see you in January... 17th because that's when nobody's interested and we can really use the help. Mm-hmm. So um, I think what I would invite people to do is if this is a springboard time, great. But then kind of what, how do you start that as a new discipline? What is, how do we, how do you engage that on an ongoing basis? Cause that's when the transformation really starts and that's when your impact I think is most felt. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. We've been joined today by Reverend Dr. Charlie Parker, a retired United Methodist minister, and Bill Aiken, former director of public affairs for the Buddhist group Soka Gakkai International USA. Thank you both for being part of our show today. Thank you, Jack. Thanks. It's been a pleasure, Jack. As always, a shout-out to my fellow interfaith Ishtronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, as well as to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music for the show. 
And thank you too, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find all of our previous episodes of Interfaith-ish on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. And of course, on the archives on TacomaRadio.org. You can subscribe and each of our Interfaith-ish episodes will slide right into your phone like Santa down a chimney. And of course, you can stuff our stocking with a rating or review about how much you love our show. Or send us a holiday wish list of Interfaith-ish by writing to interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week. Streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.